Romans chapter number 14 tonight. Romans chapter number 14 as we continue to, uh, uh, to study through uh, some of these Baptist distinctives, Bible doctrines, and uh, hit some of these high spots of what we believe, why we believe it. And uh, boy, I tell you, it's good to be here. I, I, it, you know, it might be good for us to miss every now and again. It makes it feel a little better when you, you, you're kind of uh, thankful for getting to be here. Amen. And uh, boy, I'm glad to be here tonight. Romans chapter number 14. I'll read a couple of verses. Begin verse number 5. Uh, we'll begin verse 5 of Romans chapter number 14. Look what Paul said. Uh, he says, uh, actually, let's, let's back up to verse 1. Let's back up verse 1. Uh, he said, him that is weak in the faith receive ye. But not to doubt for disputations. For one believeth that he may eat all things. Another who is weak eateth herbs. Let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not. And let him which eateth not judge him that eateth. For God hath received him. Who art thou that judgest another man's servant? To his own master he standeth or falleth. Yea, he shall be holden up. For God is able to make him to stand. One man esteemeth one day above another. Another esteemeth every day alike. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. He that regardeth the day, regardeth it unto the Lord. And he that regardeth not the day, to the Lord he doth not regard it. He that eateth, eateth to the Lord. For he giveth God thanks. And he that eateth not, to the Lord, he eateth not and giveth God thanks. For none of us liveth to himself, and no man dieth to himself. Let's pray together. Father, we ask, Lord Jesus' name, that you'd help us to share the word of God tonight. Lord, we're so thankful, Father, that you allowed us to be in a Bible-believing church. And God, we're glad that we can look at these doctrines. They line up with what we believe. Don't have to bend them around anyway. But Lord, they're exactly out of the word of God. I pray, God, that you instruct us tonight from your word. We'll thank you and praise you for all that you do in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Now, so far in our study on Bible uh, Baptist distinctives, uh, we've talked about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Uh, we talked about our belief on that. It's kind of what got everything started. We preached a little bit on the infallibility of the scriptures. I'm glad that we've got a perfect Bible. Amen. Then we talked a little bit about the autonomy of the local church. And as well as the priesthood of the believer. And then last time we were here, I guess I said last Wednesday night, I preached to you a little bit on the two offices of the church, that being the office of pastor and the office of deacon. Now tonight, I want us to consider for a few moments a doctrine that is called individual soul liberty. That's what we believe as Baptists. We believe in individual soul liberty. Or we might say, that we believe in Christian liberty. If you'll remember a few months ago, I preached on Christian liberty, and I'm not going to rehash what I preached there a few months ago, but basically what we believe is that every born-again believer has the ability to, to decide for his or herself how to best apply Bible principles, and uh, it's according to their own will. That they will give an account one day to God themselves for how they believe this Bible. That is individual soul liberty. In other words, it's up to you what you believe. And Baptists have always held to an individual soul liberty. Now, that does not mean 
It does not mean that Christians can do anything they want. It does not mean that uh, having liberty does not mean that someone can go against the doctrines or the precepts that are clear or found in the Bible. But what I'm trying to say to you tonight is that you can make up your own mind on areas where there is not a clear Bible precept. Let me give you an example. I believe that uh, in this day and hour, I think that it's uh, crucial, I think that it's important myself that we uh, train and educate our children in a Christian way. I believe that Christian education, whether it be in a Christian school or whether it be in a home school, I believe it's very important. I'm a, I'm a believer in it. I'm sold on it. But I can't give you chapter and verse for that. So if you want to send your kid to public school, we're not going to have no falling out. I'm not going to kick you out of the church. I'm not going to be mad at you. I'm not going to think you're less of a parent. You know why? Because that's your decision to make. It's not my decision to make. It's your kid. And you can live your life in that way, the way that you want to. Because right? I can't show you a chapter and verse where uh, that uh, it's one way or the other. So there's things that we can't uh, point to in the Bible. And what we believe as Baptists is if we can't point to it in the Bible, either a, a, a firm doctrine or some sort of a precept, and we talked about that a few weeks ago, then you are free to make up your own mind on how to believe. But I'm going to tell you something tonight. There's a lot of Baptist churches I know that that's not the way they practice things. However the preacher believes, that's how everybody, bless goodness, better believe. And if you don't believe that way, you're in trouble. And uh, bless God, they'll run you out of church. It don't matter. They'll run you out. If you don't uh, dot every I and cross every T exactly the way the preacher says to him. Now, I'm going to tell you something. I've got, if you, have you noticed about me? I've got opinions about a lot of things. I do. If you don't want to know, don't ask me. I'll tell you what I think. I've got opinions on a ton of things, but if it's not a Bible precept, and if it's not, if it's not uh, something I can prove of the Word of God, then my opinion's my opinion. But if you've got a different opinion, we can be friends, amen, and we can still get along. We still go to church together, hallelujah, and that's, that's just how you're going to do it. So it's individual. Each individual has the sole liberty to make up his mind what he's going to believe. Now, let me give you a few things about that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to touch on two points and really spend some time on the third and try to bring to our hearts tonight what the Lord's laid on us. Number one, I want you to think about the deliverance that individual soul uh, liberty offers, the deliverance that it offers. Now, would you agree with me tonight? There certainly comes a freedom with being responsible to God alone for how you believe. Boy, that's freeing, isn't it? I'm going to tell you, I, the longer I'm in this thing, the more convinced I am that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty and there's freedom. And God wants you to feel free to worship. And God wants you to feel free to believe what you believe in your heart. Amen. Now, again, I'm not talking about undoctrinal things. Sure, there's things in the Bible that are clear. There's mandates from the Bible, thou shalt and thou shalt not. And uh, we can't go against those and claim liberty to do that. Oh, no. I, but what I'm saying to you tonight is that in these other areas of your life, as far as your practice and how you live your daily life, that's between you and God. And you alone will give, you alone will give an account to God one day for how you live. And I'll give an account for how I live. That is individual. And that's free. I'm glad I don't have to adhere to some man-made rules. I got a lot of preacher friends. I'm telling you, I got them on all kinds, both sides of the spectrum. I've got them that uh, are a lot li more liberal than what we are. 
I've got preacher friends that are way more conservative than we are. I mean, buddy, they are, they are straight-laced. I thank God for both sides. I thank God for all my brethren. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't have no friends that ain't Bible preachers. They're all Bible preachers. But what I'm saying is they don't see every little thing the way I see it. Don't do every little thing the way I do it. I, I'm glad I can still be friends with it. I'm glad I can still fellowship with it. And let me say this. I'm glad that we're all going to the same heaven one day. You're not going to see everything the way I see it. And I'm not going to see everything the way you see it. But I tell you where it becomes a problem is when we get to where we can't fellowship over trivial matters. Now that's what's happening here in Romans chapter number 14. In the early church, in the early church, there was this huge debate about days, days, days. So when the church first started, the Jews of the church said, well, we've got to keep the Sabbath. We've got to keep all these feast days. We've got to keep all these special days. We need to carry that on. That's a good tradition. We do it to honor God. And when it, well, the Gentiles, they said, we don't have a, we don't have a Sabbath day. Uh, and by the way, we don't. We don't have a Sabbath day. Uh, it kills me. Well, it kills me on the radio uh, when they have that gospel sing on Sunday morning. At the end of it, he said, "I hope you have a blessed Sabbath day." Why well, it's crazy? We don't have a Sabbath day, and it certainly isn't Sunday. Amen. Sunday's the Lord's day. It ought to be a blessed Lord's day. But anyway, I just try to get off on that. But uh, Romans fourteen, they, they're arguing about that. They got a major problem in the church. Here's what Paul said. Paul said, that's trivial. He said, if you want to honor God by them days, that's up to you. Every man does what's according to his own heart. There's nothing wrong with it. If you want to honor those days, then bless goodness, honor those days. Uh, But listen, if other brethren don't want to honor them, uh, uh, don't get mad at them because they're not honoring them uh, because that's neither here nor there. Uh, It's up to every man. Let every man decide in his own heart what he's going to do about that. Uh, And that is individual soul liberty. And I say glory to God for individual soul liberty. Now, there's certainly things in the Bible. Think about this. There's things that are mandated. Church attendance, for instance, it tickles me. People say, well, I don't have to be, uh, I don't have to go to church. I'm a Christian. I love God, but I don't go to church. That ain't true. The Bible said that uh, we should forsake not the assembling of ourselves together as a manner of some is. So it is a Bible mandate that you go to church. You can't claim Christian liberty to lay out a church. It's a Bible mandate, prayer, Bible reading, witnessing, giving. All of those are Bible mandates. You can't claim Christian liberty. When the offering plate comes around, you say, well, I got Christian liberty. I don't have to give anything. No, that's a Bible mandate. You can't get away from it. Let me say this. There are things that are prohibited in the Bible. Alcohol, for an instance. You can't say, well, I'm going to go out on the town and have a drink. I got liberty to do that. No, you don't. The Bible prohibits the use of alcohol among the saints of God. Uh, and you think about immodest dress. You say, well, I've got Christian liberty. I can wear whatever I want to wear, show my body off however I want to show it off. No, the Bible says uh, that you're to dress modestly and that you're to dress decently. That's what the Bible teaches. And so there's things that the Bible prohibits. You can't cr- claim Christian liberty in order to do those things. I think about uh, I think about corrupt communication, cussing and carrying on. You say, well, I got Christian liberty. No, the Bible says not to do that. So while it does offer freedom, it only offers freedom for you to decide in areas where the Bible is not clear on what you decide. So there is 
I could preach a, I could preach a month on that, but I got to go on there. There is the deliverance it offers, but then there's the division it avoids. In Acts chapter number 15, I'm not turning there, Reagan, so don't worry about it. But Acts chapter number 15, Paul is, and Barnabas are getting ready to go out on another missionary journey. And when they start out, Barnabas wants to take John Mark with him. And John Mark had quit on the first missionary journey. And so what happened was Paul said, we're not going to take John Mark this time. They end up having an argument. Barnabas takes John Mark and goes on his own journey. Paul picks up Silas and goes on his journey. You know what they did? They agreed to disagree and go on with life because you'll find in the Bible where later they came back together and worked together to serve God. Matter of fact, Mark wrote one of the Gospels. He was used of God. Paul was used of God. But when they couldn't see eye to eye on John Mark, you know what they did? They agreed to disagree. You know what we've lost in the social media age? We've lost the ability to agree to disagree. In the, in the social media age, how many of you will agree with me? I'm right, and if you don't agree with me, then you're the devil. You're straight out of hell. You, hey, hey, you're the worst person ever. You're some sort of bigot. That's the world we live in. You either get on one side or you get on the other side, and nobody can, nobody can say, well, let's just agree to disagree and go on with life. No, everybody's got to prove they're right. They got to prove they're right. I'm telling you, listen, take it from a retired Facebook warrior. I laid down my sword and shield years ago. But I used to, hey, I'd fall into that trap. I, I'd argue on Facebook. It'd keep me up at night thinking about what I was going to say to that crazy bunch the next day. And son, I'd, I'd wear my thumbs. I'd wear the fingerprints off my thumbs. A Facebook warrior straightened everybody out. Buddy, I straightened the whole internet out. You believe that? Everybody got straightened out by old Brad. I'm telling you, didn't none of them, I didn't change their mind. They didn't change my mind. I was better off leaving it alone. There's times I see things on the internet you wouldn't believe how many times I've typed out responses. And I've typed in comments. And delete, 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 delete. I'm like, I don't want to babysit this all week. I don't want to have to, I don't want to have to make this point for the rest of the week. I'm just going to leave. And so, but we live in that age. But you see in Christian liberty, what we should do is say, oh, well, that's how you believe. Well, that ain't how I believe, but that's okay. You can believe how you believe. I'm going to believe how I want to believe. In these areas that are not clear Bible doctrines, you say, well, have you ever noticed somebody said, well, I ain't got a TV. And suddenly they don't think anybody else ought to have one. Huh? Well, you don't have a TV. God bless your heart. That's great. You're probably better off. I would agree. You're probably better off. But I've got one. And I ain't going to fall out for you not having one. Don't fall out for me having one. See what I'm saying? That's our Christian liberty to make them decisions on our own. And so there's the, there's the division it avoids. It should Make us to where we don't have division among us. It's the last thing. Here's really where I want to preach. There's the deity that it awaits. Look what the Bible said in chapter number 14 here, Romans 14. Look what the Bible says, verse number 10. But why dost thou judge thy brother? Or why dost thou set it naught thy brother? Watch this now. For we shall all. Stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Every last one. And I'm telling you something that's not preached on enough, and that's the judgment seat of Christ. Amen. How many of you in here tonight are saved? Say amen. amen. All right, well, you're going to stand one day before the judgment seat of Christ. 
Now, it's not, a mercy, it's not the mercy seat of Christ. And I'm glad there is a mercy seat. And uh, that mercy seat's where I went that, that day to get saved. But one of these days, I'm going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. At the judgment seat of Christ, I'm going to be judged according to the deeds done in the body. I believe that the majority of the judging that will be done at the judgment seat will be according to the works that we've done and what sort they are. And I also believe there's going to be an element of unconfessed sin that will be dealt with at the judgment seat of Christ. Because uh, those things are going to have to be ironed out. You know what I believe? I believe the judgment seat of Christ, there will be people that will walk across the banisters of heaven and make things right with their brother, get things right that they wouldn't get right here on earth, I believe they'll be made to get things right before they enter into heaven. There won't be no disagreements. There won't be no arguments. Those things will all be taken care of at the judgment seat of Christ. Now, let me share with you uh, a little something out of Genesis chapter number 49. I should have worn my waders. I'm standing up here in a puddle of water now. Hallelujah. <laughs> Genesis chapter number 49, Jacob has died. Now, let me borrow your imagination just a minute. He's been laying on his deathbed sick. Now for some time, he sent for all of his boys, all 12 of his sons to come. That, no doubt, Joseph has went and gathered them up. Jacob's living there in Egypt. They bring him in to bring all them boys. I see them standing around Jacob's bed. And in a moment of strength, I see the old man as he rises from his bed kicks his feet across, grabs that old staff and leans up on it. In all of chapter number 49, he talks to them boys about how they lived their life. And it's called Jacob's judgment seat. And it's one of the first pictures of the judgment seat of Christ that we see anywhere in the Bible. Now it's very interesting. Jacob leans on that staff and he deals with those boys. Let me point out three or four of them to you tonight. The first one that he deals with is the man that was crushed at the judgment seat. There in Genesis chapter number 49 and verse number three, the Bible says, Reuben, thou art my firstborn, my mind and the beginning of my strength, the excellency of dignity, and the excellency of, pow- of power, Boy, when he said that, Reuben probably straightened right up and said, Oh boy, here I'm fixing to get mine. I am the oldest son. I am the excellency of my father's power. Oh, I knew when it come time to read the will that I was going to do all right. But then look what, look what he goes on to say about Reuben. Verse 4, he said, Unstable is water. Thou shalt not excel because thou wentest up to thy father's bed. Then defilest thou it, thou it. He went up to my couch 39 years. This secret has been laid. Jacob's concubine had been defiled by his oldest son in a moment of adultery. 39 years. Reuben thought he'd got by with it. 39 years. He didn't think anybody knew. But then old Jacob leans across that staff 
Don't you know the room fell silent? As Jacob said, you went up to my couch. He knew all along. And it was exposed. And Reuben there was crushed at the judgment seat. I want you to understand something about the judgment seat. It's a family affair. All them boys that were in the room that day, Jacob wasn't deciding whether or not they's family. That was undecided. He was going to decide about what kind of reward they got. The judgment seat of Christ is a family affair. It'll not be to decide whether or not you're making it. You're in the family. But it will rather be to decide whether or not you have a reward in heaven. We look at it from this side and we may not think it's that big of a deal. But I'm telling you, it's going to be a big deal for eternity when others have rewards and you don't. He pointed out a few things about Reuben. He pointed out his unique position, the firstborn, what potential Reuben had. He should have been the one that the messianic line carried on through. He should have been the one that received the double portion. Uh, He should have been the one uh, that was blessed by his father. Uh, But instead, uh, he was the one at the judgment that got the curse. He talked to him about his unstable personality. He said, Reuben, you're as unstable as water. You ever thought about that? Pretty good example of it here earlier. Look at that water in that bottle. I mean, just any little movement moves that water. Water's very unstable. He said, you're as unstable as water. His performance, it was about his position. It wasn't about his position, but his performance. And the performance in the family of God, listen to this. Your performance in the family of God will affect your position in the kingdom of God. It's a big deal. God, this is what I'm about to say, this is a profound statement. Studies have shown that 80% of people don't realize when I'm making a profound statement, so I'm going to start telling you beforehand. This is a profound statement. God gives us unmerited salvation. But he never gives us unmerited reward. And so there was this unscrupulous passion. So there was the man that was crushed at the judgment seat. Then there was Simon and Le- Simeon and Le- Simon and Levi there in verses 5 through 7. They were the ones that were condemned at the judgment seat. They were brothers and they, of course, committed that mass murder over their sister. And they brought a reproach on the name of God. And there at the judgment seat, they had, they had rationalized it within themselves. They thought they'd done the right thing. But at the judgment seat, they found out that they hadn't done right. So Jacob judged them. There's a lot of people that use Christian liberty to justify the deeds of their flesh. But one of these days, one of these days, you'll stand before God. Every man, woman, boy, and girl in this building will stand before God. The things you've done in your flesh The things that you've done that are sinful, that you've not confessed or gotten straightened out, all of that will have to be straightened out at the judgment seat. All that's going to be took care of. But then I want you to notice this. There was the man at the judgment seat of Jacob that was crowned. (laughs) Look at what the Bible said there in verse number 8. 
We said, Judah, thou art he whom thy brethren shall praise. That's a strange statement. If you study the life of Judah, you'll know that he was a failure as a father. He was involved in the betrayal of Joseph. He married a pagan. When Jacob cleared his throat and looked at Judah, he probably Judah probably thought, "Oh no, I've lived a bad life. No telling what's about to happen." But you know the strangest thing, if you'll read down through these verses, what you'll find is that, hey, Jesus didn't come from the tribe of Reuben. Jesus didn't come from the tribe of Joseph. He came from the, as a lion out of the tribe of Judah. And there's not a negative thing. Let's read all the way through this. Judah, thou art he whom thy brethren shall praise. Thy hand shall be in thy neck of thine enemies. Thy father's children shall bow down before thee. Verse number nine, Judah is a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, thy God, up. He stooped down and crouched as a lion. And as an old lion, who shall rouse him up? Look what he said in verse 10. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the lawgiver from between his feet, until shallow come, and unto him shall be the gathering of the people. You see what Jacob said. He didn't mention the fact that Judah had been a bad father. He didn't mention the fact that Judah had failed and married a pagan. He didn't mention the fact that Judah had been a part of Joseph's betrayal but said he only had good things to say about him. You say why is that preacher? How come Judah got off when Reuben didn't get off and when Levi didn't get off? Well over there in Genesis chapter number 46 if you'll recall how they put that cup, that Joseph put that cup in Benjamin's bag and they caught the cup on the outside of the town and they brought Benjamin back and was going to hold him. You know who it was that showed up in front of Joseph that day. It was Judah. And you know what Judah did? He took responsibility for all the wrongs he had done. He prayed an intercessory prayer for Benjamin. He pled for Benjamin's life. And he humbly came before Joseph. And Joseph made amends that day. Thank God with Judah. Hey, let me say it to you this way. You can either appear before the throne here or you can wait and appear there. But if you'll appear before it here, there's grace. Amen. If you'll take your shortcomings, if you'll take your failures, if you'll take your falters, if you'll take your sins and confess them to the Lord now, it'll be just like Judah coming before Joseph. And one of these days when you stand before the judgment seat of Christ, the Lord will not have anything but good things to say about you. I'm glad that we can take care of it down here on this earth. But the majority of Christians live loose lives and never repent. Have an unrepentant attitude. One of these days, they'll face it all before the Lord. They'll face it all before the Lord. Christian liberty, there's a deity that's washing. There was a man at the Jesuit seat of Jacob. I got several of these. I'm going to quit right here. There's a man at the Jesuit seat of Jacob that was consoled. Well, the Bible said there in verse 20, chapter number 49, he's talking to Asher. I was hoping Brian Kirsten would be here, little Asher tonight. The Bible, Asher, I always felt sorry for him. Asher and Gad, if you'll study the Bible, Asher and Gad were not even sons of Leah. They were sons of Leah's handmaid. 
They never really fit in. Of course, Jacob had some sons by Rachel's handmaid, but he loved Rachel. Them boys always seem to fit in. You read about the tribes of Israel, things they do. Those boys seem to fit in, but Gad and Asher seem like they don't ever have a place. Nobody's. Nothing's. <laughs> uh, but faithful. You don't ever read anything bad about Asher. He never was into a whole lot, never caused a problem. But he was a nobody. He'd been raised up in a home unwanted, if you will, son of Leah's handmaid. Nobody wanted him. They probably laughed at him when he showed up at the family dinner. Nobody felt like he belonged, him and Gad. They were red-headed stepchildren. Get out of our way. You don't belong here. Nobody thought he belonged. But yet he was just faithful and was a good son and tried to do his best. Look what the Bible says about him. Jacob looks at Asher. He said, out of Asher his bread shall be fat. And he shall yield royal dainties. Now what does that mean? That means that Asher and his people, another place is prophesied of Asher that he would dip his toe in oil. Tribe of Asher inherited the portion of land that we now call Saudi Arabia. Rich in oil. Asher ended up being one of the richest of the sons of Jacob. You know what Jacob said? He said, Asher, one of these days when the king comes, he said, you may have been a nobody to everybody else, but you were faithful and lived for God and did your part. And he said, one of these days when the king comes, you're going to be serving in the king's court. You're going to yield royal dainties. You're going to bring things for sacrifice to the king one of these days, Asher. Well done. There's a lot of people that may feel like, oh, Asher, just being faithful in your place, never made no headlines, never were booked for big meetings, never was patted on the back or bragged on too much. And I'm glad there's coming a reckoning day. See, there's a negative side of the judgment seat of Christ where we'll have to make up with our neighbors, where we're going to have to have our works judged, but there's a positive side of it. See, if you've simply been faithful, if you've simply been faithful one of these days to the judgment seat of Christ, you'll be like a washer. See, you'll be rewarded for what you've done in your life. There's going to be rewards to the judgment seat of Christ, and there's going to be detriments there. And it all depends on how you live your life. And here's the point I'm trying to make. All of that is up to you. That's what you call individual soul liberty. If you don't want to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and be embarrassed and be ashamed, you don't have to be. That's the good news. You don't have to be. You say, well, I've done a lot. I have too. But if you get it done to the blood, he that, if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just forgive us our sins, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you've got all against your neighbor and you've made it right, if you've, got, if you've got problems in your life but you've straightened them out, I'm glad there's grace for all that to cover every sin and God will take care and you won't have to face it at the judgment seat of Christ. But if you left it undone, you leave it undone. You say, I get by with it. No, you won't. If you leave it undone, one day you will face it. And when you face it, it'll be before the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I wonder tonight, 
a little different than I usually preach on Wednesday night. And I wonder tonight if there's anybody in the building that's just got something undone. Something needs to be fixed up. I'm not talking about you've been out in any kind of manifest sin. I'm just talking about things that are undone, things that you don't want to stand before the judgment of Christ with. Attitudes, anger, things you don't want to stand before God with, things that you'd like to get right. Can I impress upon you to do it while you can? Do it while you can. Do it while it's easy. It's as easy. God's made so many things easy during the church age. You ever thought about that? I mean, to get saved by the grace of God, all you have to do is believe. How easy can it be? And then to get things that are in your life straightened out, all you got to do is confess them. Ask the Lord to forgive you. If it involves another person, you got to go make that right. Go make it right. That's all there is to it. That's all there is to it. It'd be a lot easier to do it now than to stand before the Lord and have to do it. A lot easier to do it now. But in the end, you live how you want to live. It's up to you. It's up to you. For years, as a pastor, I lit out on the quest to straighten everybody out. I tell you what I've learned is people are people. And you're going to do what you're going to do. All I can do is implore you to do the right thing. I can't make it. But if you've got something, oh, I'd love to preach on the man that was confident at the judgment seat. <laughs> when it comes Joseph's turn, he wasn't worried at all. He didn't, he didn't have nothing to worry about. He knew that the report was going to be good because he'd lived a good life. What I want, Frank, I, I just want, when I pass out of this world for me to have everything fixed up with God that I need to fix up. I'm not talking about salvation. I fixed that up a long time ago. I've talked to people who are getting ready to die. They've never been to church, never showed any evidence of salvation. They'll say, well, I fixed that up with the Lord. And I hope they did. But there's more to fix up with him than just getting saved. You say, well, I saved. That's all that matters. Listen. If you live any time in the flesh after you get saved, there's other things that you need to fix up with the Lord. There's been times that I got on my prayer grounds at the, at the house, got to confessing sins. I'd have been embarrassed if anybody had heard what all I was owning up to. It would embarrassed me to death. If anybody had been hiding in the woods and heard it, I'd have been so ashamed. I'd, that would have crushed me. I tell you, I believe it does us all good sometimes just to get real honest with God and go to naming stuff by name that we're guilty of. Tonight, before I come down here, we was watching Andy Griffith and eating supper, and it was that episode where Floyd made like he was that rich man, corresponding with that lady up north. He found out she was coming. He'd stand in front of that mirror, and he'd say, Floyd Lawson, you're a low-down, filthy wretch. I hate you. That's the way I feel a lot of time. I want to say, Bradley Boone, you're a low-down, filthy wretch. I hate you. But it ain't nothing you can't fix up. 
Ain't nobody done anything so bad. Ain't nobody done anything so wrong. What it can't be fixed up. And the house of God. Ain't that a good God? I'm going to tell you, I wouldn't be that way. They, I'm a pretty forgiving fellow. I don't have much of a temper. There's certain things that I'd be like, no, I'm sorry. I, I'll just be honest. If I was God, some of these child molesters and stuff wouldn't get things right, I'd say, well, sorry, pal. You went too far. I, 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 we, can't, we can't talk. But boy, what a gracious God we've got. What a gracious God. Let's stand our feet. Father, we ask, Lord, tonight in Jesus' name that you'd touch the message tonight. I don't know who it's for, maybe it's just for me. Lord, sure was good for me to be reminded today of the judgment seat of Christ, the seriousness of the hour. I pray tonight, Lord, that you'd touch hearts across this building. I pray that we'd all leave with a heart that was white as snow, clean as can be. Lord, help us to exercise our Christian liberty, the deliverance that's in it, in the way that it helps us not have division. Lord, help us to always remember there's a divine appointment one day where we'll stand and give an account for what we've done. Do that now as only you can. We'll thank you for it in Jesus' name.